Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Welcome. Jane Rubin has had a lifelong fascination with historical fiction and historical medicine. She's had so many things that she's been interested in, but when she had a cancer diagnosis in 2009, she poured all of her energy and her research to raise funds for the research on ovarian cancer and also into her own family's history. That research led us to the marvelous book, In the Hands of Women, and to her being here today on the Storyteller's Microphone. Jane, welcome. Thank you, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I'm so glad to have you. I absolutely adored your book. I think it's really important. Before I started doing the breadth of work I do in the area of reading and writing today, I was always interested in historical fiction first. So tell me why that's your go-to genre. I think there are so many lessons we learn from history. And when history is, is taught in the context of fiction, we connect in a very emotional way with our characters and we begin to feel what it feels like to live in that time period. In, in essence, we're transported, we time travel. And when we find ourselves landing in a certain place in a certain year, we begin to understand what it felt like to live with the tools that individuals live with. Because human nature doesn't change. People still feel love, people feel hate and, and jealousy and contempt and, and trust and all of the emotions we feel in our lives today. Those emotions were are the constant we time travel with. What really changes are the state of the politics, the, the values and mores of that time, the laws, um, the tools that we live with. And um, that fascinates me. And in particular, medical history is what I love to learn about. Have you always been interested in medical history? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I have. Um, as a matter of fact, as a child of a greatest generation, World War II um, soldier and his wife, um, it was very clear that I had to be employable after college. Getting to go away to college was a first in our family. And when I suggested to my father that perhaps I'd like to study and go for a PhD in the history of medicine, I don't think he got off the floor laughing for quite some time. Um, so it was very clear that that wasn't gonna happen for me. But I always love studying about how disease, well, disease, and how it was managed as we went back in time before the innovations we have today. And, and actually that's particularly interesting in my case because I am a almost 15 year ovarian cancer survivor and I am not cured. I have always been in active treatment, but I have jumped from one treatment to an innovation for another treatment. And I've done that four or five times in the course of my disease. Those, those opportunities weren't even available 20 years ago. So 
when I look back at my genetically based disease to my predecessors in my family who carried that disease and passed it along and probably died from it, I became very, very curious about what it was like for them. Well, I'm so glad that you were able to find your love of history and historical medicine also through your family roots because it comes through so beautifully in the hands of women. Tell us about your novel. My novel takes place in, it begins in the year 1900. And 1900 was kind of an interesting time. There's not a lot of novels that are set at that time in New York City. It is between the Civil War and World War I. It was before Prohibition. And it was just kind of a period of time where a lot of subtle changes began to happen in society. The Victorian age had ended um, and we were into the Edwardian age. Uh, the um, president was um, McKinley and he was shot. Um, in the world of um, medicine, a germ theory was established, but there were many diseases that people didn't know. And the average age was about 50. Um, infant mortality, 20%. It was like a rough time. And um, it said in that time is my protagonist, Isa Hannah, um, Hannah Isaacson. Um, Hannah is one of the first obstetricians. She's studying at Johns Hopkins, which was a major innovator in terms of bringing women into the medical field. And she encounters every obstacle possible, um, terrible misogynists. Um, she is dealing with um, a time, she wants to go into reproductive health and she's dealing in a time when the Comstock laws were in great force. Um, not only was abortion illegal, but birth control was illegal and they didn't understand ovulation yet. So the rhythm method was hadn't been discovered as a form of contraception. So women were getting pregnant at an alarming rate. Um, add to that massive immigration. It was a time when not only the Jewish people were, were leaving Europe, but we had huge Italian and Polish immigration. It was kind of after the Western European um, period of immigration. And these people coming from the East were mostly peasants and, and they were coming with some trades, but most of them were, were like ta being a tailor or um, a mason or, or something where one worked with his hands and they were poor and many of them were young. And so there was a real push for them to begin um, looking for ways to manage their family size. But it's very interesting to note that 50% of the abortions in, in the United States at that time were by married women because childbed fever was still around. Um, they were afraid of losing children. They all had big families. And if something happened to them, would their husbands be able to manage? Anyway, so Hannah is set in this very, very challenging environment. And her goal is to bring good health to women, to try and improve their lot. Um, she becomes part of the suffragette movement. She be gets close to Margaret Sanger. 
and she practices eventually at Mount Sinai Hospital. And before you know it, she's in a terrible situation that she had not anticipated and ends up going to prison. And so that brings us to Blackwell's Island. Talk a little bit about the other piece that I found very interesting in your novel was that it was the changing role of midwives and hospital births that really also, so it impacted women in terms of careers, but Mm -hmm. then it also impacted women in terms of their reproductive rights. Could you explain that? Well, yes. And from the beginning of time, and if you go back way into the Egyptian history, midwives or people like them helped women with everything reproductive. And they were taught by apprenticeship method. So they didn't go to any formal um, school schooling, and that carried on through into and into the 1800s, men that the male physicians really didn't want anything to do with childbirth, they'd have they have to spend too much time tending the women, it was a very inefficient way to make a living. But then anesthesia started getting better. And as anesthesia got better, physicians towards the end of the eight 1800s begin to want to claim that business and take it from the midwives who they saw as inadequately trained. And they probably were in many cases, but um, in doing so, there was a big turf war. And in that turf war, the physicians really went after the midwives for abortions and and midwives did. Um, At that time, life was not uh, a fetus was not considered viable to until the woman felt quickening, which was movement um, between 18 and 20 weeks. And so when, um, when that became, um, and that's why a, abortion, which was mostly done with herbals um, prior to uh, the year 2000, um, was, was permitted. It, Nobody talked about it. Even the churches turned their head. The city didn't want to see a a lot of uh, unplanned pregnancies because nobody could afford to provide services for all this growing mushrooming population, nor could the churches or synagogues for that matter. And so people turned their heads. And then with the Comstock laws, it, it began to severely change. I found the entire piece um, lovely for several reasons. I I worked in Baltimore for years. I actually worked at Johns Hopkins. I also am a native New Yorker. So I got to visit some old haunts back in the day. But it also reminds me of how such a short span of history where everything has changed from 1900s to when abortion became legal to now where we're facing a very different climate across our country. And whether we're political or not, or whether we, wherever we stand on this spectrum, I think it's a very important reminder of how quickly history can change and how quickly history can impact women specifically. How important was that for you in your storytelling? Well, it's interesting. I finished the manuscript a year before Roe v. Wade was overturned. So that it wasn't my, the story wasn't propelled forward because of that change. It just happened to occur that way. But what I wanted to emphasize, and I still do, is how important it is to A, be informed 
about the genesis of these rules and laws and, and, and our cultural norms um, and what it was really like back then. So that for people today, whatever, wherever you land on the abortion issue, it's important for me to do my part in helping you land there in an informed way yeah. and um, not to tell you what to think. Um, and so I take that role as a historical fiction writer very seriously. It's not supposed to be about preaching. It's supposed to be about informing through a story. So um, I, I, I do think that that um, has been very important to me. The second point, in, and that really goes back to the suffragette movement, which was really going full steam in the first 20 years of the 1900s, leading of course up to the vote in 1920. But so much had to happen to get to that vote. It wasn't a straight line. We would like the vote and we're gonna just, you know, steamroll our way there. Everything about women's lives had to lift. They had to lift the laws around, uh, around um, inheritance. Education had to lift, healthcare had to lift, living circumstances, employment had to lift. And in order for women to have the power that they needed to have the vote, they had to be looked upon as being far more formidable in society. Um, and many, many women never lived to see that vote. It started in the mid, or before, before the Civil War. And um, that 80 year period that led to the vote involved thousands of women. And many women today do not know that. And they don't appreciate how many women sacrificed so much of their lives and their reputations and so forth to push forward and give women rights in this country. And to me personally, I think it's just so sad to have to let go of any rights. I, every single one has been hard fought. And you talk about the women who never got to see the fruits, if you will, of their labors. One of those women would have been your own grandmother. And your grandmother so beautifully comes through in the story in a fictional life. And I'd love you to share why you tell her story the way you do. Well, she's actually my great grandmother. She, her name was Matilda. And Matilda came from Germany in a year after the Civil War. And we don't know a lot about her. And we didn't even know her name until I was diagnosed and I started researching her because all, the, all of the, her grandchildren, except for my mother was deceased. And my great grandmother was on my father's side and she died before he was born. And he was born in 1923. So, she, she, you know, lived before m most of my family who I knew. Um, Matilda married a man 12 years older than her, Abraham. Her, her parents, Sarah and Samuel, settled on a farm in Harlem. And I, in Threadbare, this, the prequel, I, I kind of make up that they were um, raising chickens. I figured most of the farmers in Harlem at that time were dealing with livestock because it was very rocky up there and it was very difficult to grow real food, any serious amount of it. So they came over and um, all I really know about Matilda is that 
she had my grandfather, who was an only child. There was family folklore that he was one of the twins, um, the only surviving twin. And there was family folklore also about her death, that she died of a woman's disease. But I couldn't find her, her death records. So, you know, there's a lot of guessing. And when you asked, when I asked my mother, who was around till a few years ago in her 90s, she'd say, well, they used to just put consumption on the, birth, on the death certificates because one out of eight people in New York City had tuberculosis. And it was a very, very common cause of death. So you gave life to your grandmother and mm -hmm. that was very important to you. Yes. Yes, it was important to me because as an ovarian cancer survivor, I think about how awful, absolutely awful it was for women with breast and ovarian cancers to get the help they needed. And in the case of ovarian cancer in particular, because it was in the reproductive organs, people were quick to assume it was a venereal disease. And so they were shunned. And so to have all of that abdominal pain, which is no, you know, walk in the park, um, they were very isolated, home high on laud laudanum and just dying a slow, painful death. And many of them, like my great grandmother, Matilda, who's Tilly in my books, were completely forgotten in history. And so I wanted to honor them by writing the story with those characters. So you were so in love with your characters, I'm making a leap here, that when you finished In the Hands of Women, you decided to write Threadbare. Where did that come from? Well, Threadbare was actually the first novel I wrote, but as a new novelist, I just wasn't happy enough with it right away. And I put it in a drawer, like many people suggest, and I just started In the Hands of Women that I was inspired, I had an idea, and it sort of shot out of a cannon. And I loved writing it. I wrote it very quickly, spent a lot of time revising it. Um, and then when it was picked up by, a, by Level Best Books, which is a small press, um, I went back to Threadbare and I said, all right, now we've got to take a real hard look at this. And Threadbare is ready just about ready to go to the publisher and will be out in um, May of, of 2024. And which characters do we meet in Threadbare that carry us into In the Hands of Women? Um, well, the story is the immigrant story, the rags to riches story. So um, Tilly, of course, is the main character, my great grandmother, and her younger sister is Hannah. And you see from the very beginning, that a lot of a lot of this disease that is in the family is is in of course their family too and it's hitting them very young um and tilly raises her her sister hannah and and you read that and in, in the hands of women so that's not a spoiler um but they are very very close sisters but they're they're quite a few years apart they're probably about 12 years apart and this will this be a two book series or is there a third one coming out? Oh, um, I since um, in the hands of women has been taking off and doing so well. My 
publishers was were have been delighted and they offered me a second two book deal. So I've already started on book three and book three takes place in the 19, carries on with these characters and their family, takes place in the mid 1910s um, when polio was a, a new epidemic, um, the Spanish flu, as we all have learned about as we've weathered um, COVID and World War I and the conspiracy that tangled the Spanish flu with World War I, which is a very fascinating part of our history. Do we have a working title for that as we close today? The, I have The Invisible Enemy, or uh, The Invisible Army. Um, uh, we, will see where, we will see where it brings us. But I'm so glad, Jane, that you joined us here on the Storyteller's Microphone today. I hope that everybody gets their hands on in the hands of women and looks for Threadbare. Thanks for being with me. It's lovely being here with you. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.